Yes, amen. Hey, first of all, thank you so much for being here today. And my heartfelt gratitude to our praise team. Wow, they are just, I'm so grateful as pastor to have a team like that leading us in worship. Can we give them a, a sign of appreciation? <laughs> Wonderful. And, and Trey just does a great job. Today, you can probably figure out the whole theme and you can see the title now. The whole theme has been the name of Jesus. And I just asked him, by the way, so you'll know, we're going to do that song that we just finished as our invitation. We had something different, but such a powerful song. Um, I'd like to use it at the end to speak Jesus over you um, as you prepare to leave the house today. Well, listen, hey, well, again, thank you again for being here. Lots of guests and regular attenders. We're just glad. You, I know you could have chosen any church. And uh, you, came, you came here today, so thank you so much. And our prayer is, is that when you leave today, you'll say, you know what, I got something to take home. I got something that will apply in my life. And we are talking about the name of Jesus today. We started a new series entitled Simply Complex, God in the Gospel. And over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about four big truths. And one is the truth about the name of Jesus Christ today. You know, it was Albert Einstein, and we'll have a slide next week used in a different context. Uh, but it's a great quote by Albert Einstein, of all people. I don't, I'm sure he was even a believer. And this certainly is not the gospel context. But here's what he said. He said, genius is not taking simple, something simple, and making it complex. Genius is taking something complex and making it simple. And that's what I love about Jesus. Jesus took the gospel and always made sure it was simple and easy to understand. That's why I think, I think that's why he was so, so good at telling stories and uh, you know, told stories about teaching great gospel truths. There's almost like a push, and it's a badge of honor today to see how many big words we can use and how deep we can make the gospel. And really, again, Jesus just made it so simple. So we're going to talk about, you know, yeah, the gospel's complex, but really not. It's really, really quite simple. And we want to talk today about one in one way. And it's really funny because God just kind of changed, not the message, not the scripture, but just the way I perceived what he was telling me um, for this week. I'm very, very excited um, to teach it today. So here's the deal. So when I get up in the mornings, um, I usually like today I got up at four o'clock, no alarm. That's just kind of what I do. And um, I got up, but I do need a little bit of time to wake up. And so make my coffee, you know, and on Sundays, it's study morning. And so I got my coffee and I flipped on the weather channel. That's usually a safe place to go. And there's a show that happened to be on this morning that I watch every once in a while. And it's called, Would You Survive? Would You Survive? And they take dangerous situations, you know, and then you find out what would you do in that situation and would you survive if you did that? Like, like today was, so like if you were, um, if you're attacked by a buffalo, you know, what would you do? And it gives you three or four options. And uh, the one that won, the option that won, if a buffalo, y'all need, see, y'all need to remember this. You never know what's going to happen in Harrisburg, Okay. <laughs> So, so if you happen to be attacked by a buffalo in Harrisburg or in Yosemite, either one, the thing to do is get behind a big rock. Isn't that intuitive? I mean, wow, that was worth the price of admission right there. Yeah, you get behind something big, and hopefully the buffalo will get tired of messing with you and will move on. Then, then number two was, what do you do if you're attacked by a moose? A moose. So, and by the way, these are all true stories. They've got, they've got the guys that you know, went through this. So yeah, these, these guys were bike, you know, riding their bikes in, in the mountains, and here comes a big moose. Okay? So what do you do if you're attacked by a moose? Okay, This one's really intuitive. Are you ready? Run! 
Yeah, it's not, oh, no, it's not true of all animals, but it's true of a moose. The best thing you can do is run, okay? So, the, yeah, there you go. Okay, again, worth the price of admission. So, the third one was a shark, okay? What if you do attack by a shark? Now, this had to be a reef shark, shark about six feet, okay? And the guy was, like, getting lionfish, okay? And here comes this, this the reef shark got really mad at him. Usually, they're pretty docile sharks. This guy was not, and he would not leave him alone. So, the big question is, what do you do, okay, if a shark attacks you? Well, this guy had a spear gun, okay, a two-foot spear gun, and the answer was, poke him in the gills, now, you might, ladies, you might try that on your husband. I don't know. It, it, may, it may calm your husband down. I don't know. But yeah, you, if, you, if you're out snorkeling someday and you've got a spear gun and you get attacked by a shark, try to poke him in his gills. You know, that's it. The last one I thought was very good. So what do you do if you're attacked by a spider monkey? Of all the things to be attacked by a spider monkey, yeah, I showed a couple of tourists and they were, you know, petting this monkey and the monkey got like, you know, all fired up and started attacking this guy. And, and the big word was, don't imitate him. Don't, now listen, this is true. This was on the show this morning. Do not start sounding like a monkey because you don't know what you're saying to him. You might, no, no, really, yeah, you, you might be saying like, like, you know, I don't like you or something, and the monkey gets fired up, so the thing you do is you just sort of like bundle up, and then as soon as he's done it, gosh, this is so dumb, but this is what he said, as soon as he gets done attacking you, you go to the doctor, <laughs> you know, that's it, yeah, so, so if you ever, if you ever have those four situations, now you know what to do, let's pray and go home, God bless you for being here, no, no, really, no, that, that, that was kind of cool, but anyway, so, so my thought was, you know, so in this culture that we live in, which, which really is in becoming more and more increasingly hostile toward the gospel, what's the best way that we can ensure the survival of the gospel message in America. How, what's the best way we can ensure the survival of the gospel message in America? And then for us, and for us personally, um, I, you know, we're going to survive, okay? Um, but how can we make sure the gospel message thrives in us? How, how can we thrive in, a, in an environment where the culture is increasingly more and more hostile. And that's what we want to talk about today. I want us to hear clearly how we can ensure that, that in this country that we love, okay, that, that as the gospel is becoming more and more unpopular, how we can make sure it survives and thrives because Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer, okay? So our key verse is going to be found in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12. It's a great story, and it's one you may have heard before, but let me go ahead and share it with you. Um, so it goes something like this. You know, Peter and John, there were a couple of key players in, with, you know, the guys that hung around Jesus. And so Peter and John, this is after, after the death, after the resurrection, after Pentecost, and they're going to church. You know, that's if you hang, hang around with Jesus, I guess that's what you do. And so they were going to, to church one day, and it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, time for the evening prayer service and time for um, the evening sacrifice. And so they're going to church and, and there's this guy beside the road. You know the guys that hang up, hang the cardboard signs? That's not new. They did it back in Jesus' day, but they didn't have a sign. They did that. And see, there was no, there's no safety net. There's no government programs. So if you're going to eat and you're like handicapped and disabled, then that's how you survived. It was an honorable thing to ask 
for money, ask for alms. And so this guy was, you know, they would take him and dump him off, drop him off at outside the temple gate there, and he would ask for alms all day long. Well, that's what he was doing. And so here comes Peter um, and John. They're going along, and he looks at them, and he makes eye contact. Have you ever noticed the guys with the signs try to make eye contact with you? Yeah, they do. They do. And so, so they, they make eye contact. He's trying to make eye contact with Peter and John. And he does. And he does. And he looks at them. And their eyes are saying, I'm going to give you something. Okay? So he was looked at a spirit of, wow, I'm going to get some of these guys. Okay? And then Peter speaks up. And he's going to get something, but it's not what he expected. And it's bigger than he could ever dream. Okay? So Peter looks down at this handicapped guy. Okay? Look. And he goes, I don't have any silver or gold. Okay, but, but what I do have, I'm going to give you. In the name of Jesus, didn't that just ring power? In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And the Bible says that Peter reached down and took him by the hands and lifted him up. And as he stood up, those legs that we think have never walked. This guy was probably born crippled. He never, never walked. These arm, these legs received the strength, and he began to jump and to, to walk. And, of course, he, the Bible literally says he just, like, got all over Peter, hugging and laughing and shouting. Because, again, imagine being crippled all your life, and all of a sudden you're set free. Wow, better than 15 cents, I'll guarantee you. It was just amazing. So they go, they go into the temple, all right? So they're going to the temple, and this guy's going, Woo-hoo, yeah, wow, you know. And, look, and you know, people are going, is that not the dude that used to sit outside the temple gate begging for money? Is that the same guy? And, of course, they knew that it was. And so Peter, you know, he already preached once at Pentecost, and like 3,000 people got saved. And so, so he preaches again there in the temple, gets everybody's attention, and starts talking. The same thing about how Jesus Christ was crucified, how he's resurrected, you know, he's alive. And, and this guy's walking today because Jesus did it, okay? That was the message of the day. And the Bible says that up, when he got done talking, now there were instead of 3,000, I know this sounds crazy, instead of 3,000 people being saved, there are now 5,000 people being saved. So, so the, the message of, of Jesus is like spreading like crazy, you know? Well, the temple guys got all mad, okay? Because they thought they were done with Jesus, and now this guy's being healed in the name of Jesus. So, so the Sanhedrin, the, the, the big dogs in the church, the big dogs in the church, and then their friends, the temple police, and then the, the Lolo guys, the, the priests, all get around uh, Peter and John, and they throw them in jail for the night, okay? Okay, so then the next morning, all right, they, bra- they bring them, drag them and plop them down in front of the council and now we're going to we're going to take care of business with them okay and that's where that's where our story um starts out okay now now let me let me look at our first teaching point now here here we go the enemies of the way had a problem the enemies of the way had a problem Okay, of course, the problem is the miracle, and the problem is this dead rabbi, his followers are still doing things in his name. But I want you to see this. Notice, it's just ironic that the enemies are the religious people. I mean, these are the same guys, by the way, that crucified Jesus. This is only a few weeks later, maybe a month and a half later. Okay, so it's it's ironic that, that the enemies that we're talking about are the ones who crucified Jesus. And then the enemies of the way, the way. That's a new term for you, maybe, okay? But back in the early days of the church, 
people weren't called Christians. They weren't called Christians until later on in 1st or 2nd Corinthians. I should look that up. Uh, in 1st or 2nd Corinthians, and, and it just casually mentions that for the first time they were called Christian. And it was a negative term. It's a negative term. And honestly, can I be honest with you without me thinking I'm weird, okay, is the term Christian today has real problems. Because, again, to, to so many different people, you know, it means different things. Check it out. You know, you hear what I'm saying. You know, you know, I'm a Christian, but I do this. And you go, what? And I'm a Christian, I do this. What? I'm a Christian, I do this. What? You know, it didn't make sense. So, so back in those days, they weren't called Christians. They were called people of the way. And had to go back to our closing verse today, John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. It's, it's really interesting. In Acts chapter 9, Saul, who of course now is Paul, you know, uh, then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, the same bad guys, okay, and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, isn't that interesting? Any of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So there it is. So, so back in those days, if you were a Jesus person, you might be called a, a disciple of Jesus. You might be called a follower of Jesus. Or you might be called a person of the way. Okay? Well, the enemies of the way now have a problem. And the problem is that a miracle has just happened. One, one that the, everybody saw. What, it wasn't a private miracle. It was like the whole temple complex saw it, word spreading like crazy, and it really is a problem. A miracle had happened, and it's the kind that can't be explained, excused, or ignored. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. What if, what if we had the same, first off, I'm a preacher who truly believes that God still does miracles. Amen. I, I, believe, I believe he does healing miracles. I believe, I mean, we have seen people that were, were stage four cancer and get healed. We know this. We know this. I've, we've seen broken marriages. We see, you know, guys like the guy running the, the uh, slides back there, Jamal, he gave his testimony just a few weeks ago, you know, and how that, you know, he was like totally messed up with drugs, uh, you know, and doing time in prison. And God reached down and changed his life. And he is a miracle. He's a miracle. And what I want you to see is this. Yeah, God does those kind of miracles like a Jamal miracle or an addiction miracle or a healing miracle. But I want you to get this. Every person here who has been touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ, every person here who has come to faith and believing in Jesus Christ, um, what, what he did and what he said he would do and chose to follow him, all of us are miracles. Now, and here's what I want you to know. I, I'm going to jump a little bit ahead, ahead here. But what if our lives, well, in this culture, okay, what if our lives, changed by the power of the gospel, befuddled our world in the same way? What, what if the change in us? See, you don't have to be a drug addict for the gospel to change you. You could be a Sunday school boy or girl. And still, the change should be so dramatic. Because the change of the gospel is more than changing moral habits. It's becoming like Jesus. What, what, if you, what if you learn that when someone slapped your cheek, you turn the other cheek? You know, you know, what, if, what if you learn to love and pray for your enemies and bless them? And people are going, what's up with him? He's so miraculous. I mean, he should be acting one way. He used to act one way, and now he's acting another way. What, what if the world began to see Jesus people, Jesus followers, people of the way, like a miracle? It's, it's undeniable. 
Sunday night. And that's, and that's what we want to do. And see, here's the deal. You know, the, the deal is, you know, rather than give the people a problem, the enemies of the way had a problem, you know, we give them a reason. You know what the reason is? We give them a reason to hate us. We give them a reason to hate Jesus. What if instead of giving them, you know, instead of giving them a reason, let's give them a problem to solve. Let's challenge them to figure us out. I used to be this way, now I'm not. Give them a problem to figure out. I, I wrote it this way in another place. You know, uh, give them a problem to solve and not a reason to hate. What if we, what if we determine, you know what, we're, gonna, we're not going to try to make culture mad. We're going to try to make them wonder and ponder what in the world is up with us. What in the world is up with us? So, so we, we, the answer, okay, the answer to the gospel thriving and surviving is that when we become not, not a reason to hate, but a problem to solve, that our life is such a mystery to them that they want what we have. Okay, so, so we come up then on Acts chapter 4, verse number 7. That's all background, okay? And so here they come. It's the next morning. They, they take Peter and John, and they bring him before the council. These are the, I mean, these are the big dogs. I mean, these are the big dogs, okay? So, so they brought the two disciples, James and uh, Peter and John, and demanded. Now, see, notice, no, it's, it's an adversarial situation. They demanded, by what power and in whose name have you done this? By, by what power and by what authority? That's what, when it says, by whose name? By what authority have you done this miracle? Now, there's a key phrase there that was a game changer for me this morning. This morning, right there. Have you done this? See, the Sanhedrin, the big dogs, assumed that Peter and John had done this. And they hadn't. They, Peter and John knew it, but they know. You know who had done it? Jesus. Jesus. And see, culture looks at our church, and they go, what are y'all doing? Well, we got to live in such a way that it's clear, hey, it ain't y'all that's doing it. It's Jesus doing it. That, that whatever whatever's occurring here, okay, listen, it's Jesus. See, see, and see, here's the deal, here's the deal. You know, the problem with the church today is too much of what we do is explainable. Well, we got deep pockets or this or that or that. You know, I would hope that whatever God does at Dorisville or First Baptist Church or Little Chapel or whatever church you want to pick, McKinley, you pick a church that is so befogling, okay, that it's not explainable. Someone once said that if we can explain it, God didn't do it. If we can explain it, God didn't do it. And again, we do this by understanding it's all about Jesus and not about us. It's all about Jesus and not about us. So, so they say, so by what power and what name? So what does our teaching point say? This point, now again, they demanded, adversarial. This point of opposition quickly becomes a point of opportunity. So, so Peter, you know, Peter had every right to go, you jerks. You, you throw me in jail overnight. Now you drag me here. You bunch of jerks. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that, okay? So this point of opposition quickly becomes an opportunity. The council's question led to a discussion about who? About Jesus. And we need to learn in our culture, 
that's become increasingly hostile to the gospel. Quit seeing opposition and, oh, this is good. Quit seeing opposition and start seeing opportunities. Hey, students, whether it's you guys at high school, quit seeing it as opposition but opportunities. When your friend or non-friend makes friend of you at high school, you know, what do you do? The guys, you're at work. Yeah, you're one of those Jesus-free people. You know, don't see it as opposition. See it as an opportunity. Now, let me give you some good advice. Don't be sucked into an argument or debate about the gospel. Don't be sucked into an argument or debate. Peter didn't, and neither should we. Okay? We should learn to see it as an opportunity to share. Okay? Well, how do you do that? When, when someone's, when some, don't you hate it when somebody mashes your button? You know, you know, you know, somebody mashes your button at school, guys, um, you know, or, or they mash your button at work or, you know, whatever it is you, they mash. They know it's going to get you. They know it's going to fire you up and they mash your button. What do you do, Dwayne? I mean, come on. The first thing I want to do is respond to this jerk thing. What do you do with that? Well, God's word gives us an answer. And here's the answer in this culture we live in, when it's more and more hostile uh, toward the gospel, how are we going to ensure that the name of Jesus survives and thrives in our culture in America? It tells us in verse number 8, the first part. Okay, here's what it says. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. So the key then, the key to ensuring that the gospel survives and thrives in this American culture the, the key to us being a part of, a key part of that thriving and surviving in our culture, the, the key part of being a, a, the hands and feet of Jesus is that we be filled with the Holy Spirit and then speak. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and then speak. Okay? Now, it's really cool. Um, over in Luke chapter 12, here's what Jesus said. Luke 12, 11 and 12 when you are brought to trial, when, you're, when your friends are poking you, when they're trying to mash your button at school, uh, you know, when, when you're at work and the, and the boss is, is being a jerk, okay? All right? When you are brought to trial, don't worry about what to say, okay? For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time, at that time, I love this, what needs to be said. See, the problem is we like to say things that don't need to be said. We always say too much. I always say too much. Do y'all know that? Because I preach too long. Oh, that was supposed to be a joke. Um, anyway, yeah, yeah. So, so the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. Because the Holy Spirit is going to teach you what to say. So the answer of being a witness in this gospel-hostile environment called America is we learn to let the Holy Spirit tell us what to say. And that can only happen when that other word comes in play. Filled. Filled. Now, let me explain real quick. There's one baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I believe, and we believe, that that occurs when we're born again. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the regenerative process that makes me a believer in Jesus Christ. Okay? So I'm baptized one time. But I am filled multiple, 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 and multiple times. And, and here's the deal. You know, being filled with the Spirit has little to do with emotion. But everything to do with surrender. A person is filled with the Spirit when they surrender to the Holy Spirit. And when we surrender to the Holy Spirit and we start saying, okay, Holy Spirit God, 
what do you want me to say? You know, hit the pause button. You know, somebody has mashed your button. You are fired up. You hit the pause button and you say, okay, God, what do you want me to say here? Okay, and give a moment for the Holy Spirit to speak to you. So when we do that, okay, when we're filled with the Spirit, then the Holy Spirit's going to tell us what to say. And that, and that, simply, that simply is just huge. You know, here's a quote. It's a good one. It's from A.W. Tozer. You know, you know, the spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition. You know, only, only the, the, the Billy Grahams and A.W. Tozers and, and you, you know, you think your favorite big-name preacher. Okay, only they. No, 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 no. The spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It's part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. God wants us to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit. There's no mystical, magical it's just being surrendered. God, what do you want me to do? I, I would suppose you could say that Jesus in the garden. Remember we talked about that last week? He's face down in the dirt saying, Father, if there's any way this can pass from me, let it be. If not, my, not my will be done, but thy will. Yeah, he was surrendering to the Spirit. Okay? So, so here we see then, we see Peter surrendering to the Holy Spirit. And look what he says. Look at verse number 8b. Rulers and elders of our, fam- of our people. Wait, what? Time. Do you see anything there? Do you see anything there? Now, again, I know us, especially us dudes, us guys. Yeah, we would be saying, okay, jerks. Okay, big boys. My time now. No. He shows respect. Rulers and elders of our people. He respects. You You know what the Holy Spirit's doing? He's teaching Peter something we need to learn. Respect begots Begot, begets, begets. Respect. You know, have you learned yet when the police officer pulls you over? It's not a time to be Mr. Studmuffin. It's time to say, sorry, officer, I know I was speeding. You show respect for him. Even if he, whoa, 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 whoa. Even if he doesn't show respect to you, you show respect to him. Well, why? Because that's what Jesus would do. You know, hey, when your parents are not being like totally cool, okay, guess what? You show them respect. Because you know, why? Because God said so. That's an easy one. God said so. so. So he shows respect. Rulers and elders of our people. Now watch. This was big. This was big. Are we being questioned today? They're before the Sanhedrin. You know, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you see it? I didn't. Until like this morning, like at 630. And it jumped off the page at me. Whoa, whoa. See, I first thought that Peter was asking for clarity. He's not asking for clarity. You know, why are we here? Okay. What he's saying is, do you think we've done something good? See it there? Are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Because, hey, Mr. Sanhedrin, if you think that, you're wrong. We know know we didn't do anything. I think the church needs to learn we can't do anything. It's all about Jesus. This whole thing's about God. Every time this team stands up and leads in worship, it's not about them, it's about God. Every time a preacher stands up and preaches, it's not about us, it's about God. And when you show up for church, it's not about you, it's about God. It's the whole thing's about God. Okay, so, so I saw this and I went, oh my goodness, I see what Peter's doing now. Peter's saying, oh, oh, Mr. Sanhedrin people, you know, big dogs, you're confused. You think we did this. Listen, we all like to blame people, right? Just blame Jesus. 
I didn't do it. Jesus did. Now, it's not my teaching. It's Jesus. Jesus it's Jesus' fault. So, so he's teaching. Wait, wait, wait. It wasn't us. No, no, no. We didn't do a good deed for a crippled man. <laughs> Watch this. Do you want to know how he was healed? <laughs> How's that for an intro to an to a, uh, opportunity to share the gospel? Would, would you like to know how he was healed? And oh, yes. And Peter was glad to give him the answer. Look at verse number 10. It's great. Let me, now watch this, watch this. Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel. Let's make, let's make one thing clear. It ain't us. Hey, church, let's just get one thing clear. It ain't us. Hey, worship team, let's just get one thing clear. It ain't us. Hey, preacher, let's get one thing clear. It ain't us. It's Jesus that matters. And listen, listen, listen. That's, gonna, that's what got to go out these doors. When people go, yeah, you church people. No, wait, wait, wait. It's not us. It's Jesus. And it's so cool because when somebody says, well, I don't agree with what you say. Just make sure what you say lines up with Jesus. Then you can blame him. You know, I'm a Jesus follower, and this is what Jesus taught. I didn't come up with this on my own. It's just what Jesus taught. Okay, so, so yeah, so let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed. He was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. This is so good, okay? When we're singing these songs today, knowing what this verse was going to say and what I was going to say, it is the power. Listen, listen, it's not a catchphrase. Well, we just pray in the name of Jesus. We just love Jesus. We're going to talk in the name of Jesus. Man, it's so much more than that. It is the powerful name. The powerful name. And like Annie read, a name that's above every name. That every, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Not the name of the Baptist church. Not the name of the Presbyterian church. Not the name of the Catholic church. Not the name of you and not the name of me. It is the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Oh, listen, it's bigger than us. It's bigger than ourselves. And listen, 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 listen. This thing out there, you know, how can the gospel survive and thrive in the coming generations? It's because of the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Long after we are gone, long after we're just hot air left floating around in a room, man, the powerful name of Jesus will still be the powerful name of Jesus. And listen, he is the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. And this is so important. See, I, I told early church, People in that day were crucified all the time. You know, they had a full-time execution detail, and, you know, the Romans were really good at it. And, you know, Dad would say, Hi, hon, listen, go in the office today. Got a few people to crucify. And they're going to crucify people. People were crucified all the time. And see, in the early church, you know, the cross wasn't recognized as the big deal that it is. In fact, it was, a, it was an instrument of shame. Okay? I mean, again, people were crucified all the time. When Paul came along and we, he re- started revealing to us through the Holy Spirit the wonder of the cross and the, and, and the power of redemption through the cross, we better understand today, but the early church didn't really get it. You didn't find gold crosses around you know, people's necks. It was a good instrument of shame. But this changed everything. See, when you hang a man on a Roman cross and kill him, and three days later he comes back to life, that's something to talk about. That's something to talk about. You want to know why the early church worshiped on Sunday? Because that's the day they celebrate Jesus come back to life. You know why today, why we worship on Sunday? 
It's because that's the day that Jesus came back to life. The cross is magnificently wonderful. We got a bigger picture of the cross than they did in the early church. But they quit, they just they couldn't quit talking about the guy who was dead and came back to life. And that's the message we got to share. That yes, that Jesus died for us, but guess what? He didn't stay dead. You know, when, when that scripture says, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, no other religious leader, no other denomination, no other whatever talks about the religious leader who died and came back to life. Jesus is one of a kind. He's one of a kind. So, so, so he did exactly that, okay? He died and he came back um, to life, okay? Let's go down to 412. There is salvation and no one else. There's salvation and no one else. And I know, hang on, hang on before you, you know. There is salvation and no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Now, this concept and thought was that all roads lead to Rome. Well, first off, that's not true. And guess what? All roads don't lead to heaven. There is one way, and it's here. There is salvation and no other name. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. There's one, if you want to come into fellowship with God, you do so through the name of Jesus Christ. Well, well, Dwayne, why is that? It's because Jesus paid the price for our sin, and again, God resurrected him on the third day. Find another guy who's done that, and you may have another way. There's not one. God said there's one way. And then you say, this is, I know, it's not fair. What about the Hindus? What about the Muslims? What about the Buddhist? What about, what about, what about, what about? Well, here's the deal. This is why this, I think this is so totally fair. I think this is why this is totally fair. It's beyond fair. Is this. It's the narrow, broad principle. It's narrow. Jesus is the only way. I didn't say it. God said it. Okay? But here's the broad principle. Everyone's invited to the party. What's unfair about that? Now, here's the deal, okay? So Jesus is the only way to heaven, and God says, anybody who wants to believe, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Rich man, poor man, no matter skin color, economic status, whether you live in this country or that country, whether you live in this period or that period, it doesn't matter. You're invited. You're invited. Now, the deal is we got to get the word out. We gotta get the word out. We gotta quit selling Baptists and start selling Jesus. We got we gotta quit selling rule keepers and sin and sell redemption. We gotta get the word out that listen, what Jesus did for me, he can do for you. And he don't care, listen, he don't care how long you're in prison. He don't care what addiction you've got. He don't care what you've done. His grace is sufficient. If you ask him, he'll forgive you of your sins. It's a free skate. All you have to do is acknowledge you're a sinner, believe what Jesus Christ said and did, that he did it, okay? Turn away from your former life, your sin, and follow him. That's it. That's it. Nothing to do about scales in churches. Just believe and trust Jesus. That's it. And isn't that enough? When Jesus was talking to Thomas, 
after that great scripture in John chapter 14. You know, and Thomas goes, don't know where you're going. Because Jesus said, I'm leaving. And I don't know where, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way. I'm truth. I'm life. If you want to come to the Father, you've got to come through me. And that's the message we need to carry out. That's the message we've got to carry out. But we've got to make sure people understand it's not religion. We've got to help people understand that you're not, we're not better than they are. Okay? Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, they're hearing this stuff. You know, you remember what I said a few weeks ago? How, how a message is perceived is the power of the message. If they perceive us as, as being holier now and looking down our nose at them, they're not going to want this Jesus. But if we live in a way where, where we love like Jesus and we forgive like Jesus and we care like Jesus, they can't help but want. And that's, that's so attractive, Blair. It's just so attractive. Are we willing to, to ensure the survival and thriving of the gospel in this American culture in the coming days, weeks, and years. You don't, you don't do it by bullying. You do it by being like Jesus. If you want to know how this man was healed, okay, uh, it's the most powerful name of Jesus would you bow your heads right there? Thank you so much for listening today. Can I ask you a question? Is this a decision you've made in your life? Not, not to turn over a new leaf, not to start new habits or stop habits, not to become a Baptist for sure, or even join Dorisville Baptist Church. Has there become a time in your life when you said to God, God, I know I'm a sinner. I want you to forgive my sins. I believe in your son Jesus, what he did, I turn away from my old life and I choose to follow him. I become a person, if you will, of the way. Has there been a time like that in your life? Well, we don't close our service with an opportunity to make that decision. My friend, Brother Brent, will be down front and others will be here to pray for you and to help you discover this Jesus Christ. For a lot of us, it's been years and some it's just been a few weeks. But we all can testify of the wonderful power of the name of Jesus. Let me go one, amen. Let me go one step further. We're going to sing that song again. And we talk about addictions, praying for our families, broken hearts, broken marriages. We can speak the name of Jesus over that. And by that, we're simply surrendering to the name of Jesus. Jesus, I can't do anything about this cancer, but I believe you can. And I'm willing to submit to your will. Jesus, I can't do anything about this broken marriage. But I believe you can. And I submit it to you. I can't do about the, anything about the bullies at school. Or, or a mom and dad who doesn't parent very well. But Jesus, I'm willing to turn it over to you. And I speak that name. I speak that name over it. Submitting to your will and not mine. The altar's open. Or Brent's waiting. This is your time to respond. And I want this is one of those times. I'm gonna ask y'all to stay seated. You can look up, it's okay if you want to look up after I'm done praying. But I want you, I really don't want you to think about anything but hearing these words again. 
And as you feel led, just feel free to come down and pray at the altar. Pray where you are. Let's submit to the name of Jesus today. Father, thank you for this privilege and honor of sharing this truth. Oh, may the name of Jesus be lifted high. It's so much more than a catchphrase. It's that beautiful, powerful name of the Son of God. We pray, Father, that there's someone here today or maybe on Facebook who's never made that commitment to you that today would be that day. Father, we pray that, Lord, if there's someone here today who's struggling with an addiction, that they'd be willing to turn it over to you, believing that with you and through you, all things are possible. So God, this time is yours, and we surrender it to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.